You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, I thought about that word, hallelujah. One voice, one people, dear Lord, and a nation that, dear Lord, is so splintered, so faction, so broken apart on issues and color and all the things that may separate us. May we understand that only through the power of your Holy Spirit are people from all colors, all races, all nationalities, all ethnic groups, all languages. We come together because of the power and the presence of our Creator, the Almighty God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. Lord, I thank you that, dear Lord, in other nationalities, in other countries, there was always one word that when they said it, I knew it. And that was hallelujah, that word of praise. I could pretty much pick up Jesus or Jesu, Christu, but I knew that word hallelujah. And I know that one day that will be the universal word of praise across all this world. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We pray, dear Lord, that you might cleanse our hearts. Cleanse me, your messenger. Use me today. And dear Lord, we give you all the glory and honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. We just thank the Lord. I I never take for granted the ability of this church to be able to praise and to worship. We are in Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. And um, we are looking at the life of... Of Joseph. We've been going through a series called Beginnings and talking about this first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and we've been looking more particularly at Joseph. And I want to ask you to pray for me. I, it, I had a 15-hour day yesterday. I'm like a lot of the men who were here. That we're working, even a few of our ladies. I'm tired. Uh, today is already teaching two Sunday school classes. Just a lot going on, and so I may depend on my notes a little bit more than usual. But I, 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 I pray that you'll listen. Now, the title of the message today is Conscience Waker. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Conscience Waker. In fact, just say that to yourself or to your neighbor. Conscience Waker. Because in some ways, that's what Joseph is getting ready to be, and I want everyone to look this way, and that's what God calls you and I to be. Sometimes we are a conscience waker. Now take your Bibles, Genesis 42, and we're going to pick up. I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pick up at verse 21, because if you remember last week, in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this encounter in which Joseph's brothers have come down. These ten brothers, they left Benjamin there with Jacob. Ten brothers have come down to Egypt, and they've come down there to buy grain. When they get down there to buy grain, guess who they run into? 
they run into Joseph. And Joseph, you remember when they last saw Joseph, he was down in a pit, down in a hole, screaming for mercy. They were laughing. They were conspiring. They had a coat. You remember the coat of many colors? They killed the lamb, put the blood on that coat. They probably even held it over that pit and said, Joseph, you are gone. We're getting ready to sell you, and you're out of the picture. And he was sold to Ishmaelite traders. Now, those Ishmaelite traders, they went down to Egypt. They eventually sold him into the household of Potiphar. And you remember he was there in Potiphar's household and Potiphar's wife. You remember Potiphar loved Joseph. He began to entrust everything into Joseph's care. But Potiphar, she kind of had a thing for Joseph. She kind of had an eye for Joseph. And one day she, she couldn't resist him any longer. She reached, grabbed him and tried to pull him into bed and Joseph ran and left his coat. You know, his coat always got him into trouble, didn't it? And uh, Potiphar's wife, remember, brought a false accusation against him and uh, Potiphar threw Joseph in prison. While Joseph was in prison, you remember, he ran into the cupbearer who was in Pharaoh's court. He ran into the chief baker. They both one day were walking through the prison, had a bad, had had a bad night, didn't sleep much, had a bad dream. So they, you know, they're upset. And Joseph said, man, what's wrong with you? And they said, well, we've had a bad dream. And he said, well, tell me about it. And they began to tell him, and he said, look, only God can interpret dreams. And so ultimately, under prayer, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he interpreted their dreams. You remember the chief baker, he's killed. You remember his head's lifted. The cupbearer is eventually returned to his position next to Pharaoh. And so here God, his sovereign hand, is setting the scene. Now, Pharaoh eventually, a couple of years later, because the cupbearer forgets what he told Joseph, hey man, I'm going to remember you. Remember, Joseph said, cupbearer, listen, when you get back in your position, don't forget me. Well, he forgot him. Two years later, you remember Pharaoh had a dream. He's all distraught and he looks around and his cupbearer's there serving his, his wine or whatever it is. And cupbearer says, man, what's wrong? The Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, look, I've had a bad dream. Nobody can interpret. All my magicians, all my spiritual counselors can interpret. And, and the cupbearer says, oh, wait a minute. There's this Jew, there's this Hebrew who he interpreted the dreams of both I and the baker and he was, he was, right, on he was right on target. So Pharaoh brings Joseph, Joseph comes, he interprets the dream, and ultimately Pharaoh heeds his advice, and basically it was this, there'll be seven years of abundance, then there'll be seven years of famine. We are in chapter 42, where there's seven years of famine. So Jacob, in chapter 42, verse 1, he looks at his sons, ten sons, and he says, listen, why are you sitting around here? I hear there's grain down in Egypt. Go down to Egypt and get grain so we don't starve to death. They go down to Egypt, get down there, and man, the first person they run into is the governor, second in command only to Pharaoh, and that's their brother Joseph they sold into slavery. But they don't know it. They don't know it. But Joseph knows it. And Joseph begins to accuse them of being spies. And we pick up at verse, I tell you what we'll do. Let's pick up at verse 21. Because Joseph accuses them of being spies. They say to Joseph, listen, we're not spies. We have come here. We have, um, you remember they said this, we've got a father back in Canaan. 
We've got another brother. His name's Benjamin, a younger brother. And we have another brother who is no more. You remember that? Is no more. That was the title of the message last week. They just kind of summed up Joseph as is no more, forgotten he's out of the picture. And here he is standing in front of them. And they begin, they're talking in the language of the Hebrew people. Joseph understands what they're saying. And so Joseph finally tells them, I believe you men are a bunch of liars, you thieves, and I tell you what I'm going to do. To prove your story, prove you have a younger brother, and remember the younger brother Benjamin is his true brother. To prove this, I want you to go back, and I'm going to throw you in prison, and I want you to go back, and I want you to get my brother. And so we pick up at verse 21. So let's look here. In chapter 42, verse 21. They said to one another, surely we are being punished. Now what's happened here is this. Because Joseph has said to them, and they don't know who he is, he has said to them, listen, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw you in prison. Now he amends this and says, I'm going to throw one of you in prison and I'm going to let the other nine go back and you're going to bring this younger brother you say you have and you're going to bring him back to Egypt to prove that you're credible and you're not a bunch of liars. Now, he's, he is listening to their conversation. They don't know that he's their brother, and they don't, under, they don't know that he can understand the, the Hebrew language. So they're talking in their language. It was always powerful when I was a missionary because one of the things that I could do was periodically listen in, and the Shona didn't know it. It is a powerful tool to be able to listen in to the language of the heart. So he's listening. Now in verse 21, the brothers begin to bicker between themselves. They said one to another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. All this is happening because we did this to our brother Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his lives, for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Now, Reuben, remember Reuben's the oldest of the 12 brothers. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But no, you wouldn't listen. That's to wake you up just in case you were about to doze. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. They did not know this was Joseph and they did not know that he could hear what they were saying. Verse 24, he turned away from them and he began to do what? He began to weep. But then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. I wrote down here, this is powerful dialogue. Joseph, you have to remember something. Joseph is hearing the truth. He's hearing how this whole conspiracy took place. He's getting the inside story. As Paul Harvey said, he's getting the rest of the story. And, and, and he's hearing, he's not only hearing how his brothers did this, how they hatched this plan to get rid of their younger brother Joseph, but he also hears something else, and I want you to listen closely. He hears their guilt. He, hear, he hears their guilt, 
He hears their bondage that they've been in all these years. He hears the fact that though they've done this, it is painful to them. And I wrote this down, and we talked about this last week. There's a principle here. Sometimes a measure of suffering comes into our lives because we know exactly why it came into our lives, because of disobedience. They were right to recognize this. They were right to recognize that things were going horribly wrong in their lives because they had done something wrong. They had disobeyed. This to the ten brothers was a result of their disobedience. And I went on to make this principle here. Sometimes this revelation comes by way of a brutally honest friend. Sometimes we need people in our life who are conscience wakers. They kind of wake us up, make us reevaluate, step back, think about what we've done. So here we have, and notice what they said here. When they're talking about Joseph here, they, they say in verse 21, we saw how what? How distressed he was. He was when he pleaded with us for his life, but what? But we would not listen. You hear that language there? It's just filled with guilt. See how distressed he was. He pleaded with us. We wouldn't listen. Listen to this quote. He needed, now hear me closely. Joseph needed to know that there was remorse. That there was regret. Why? So he could grieve. What does Joseph do in verse 24? When he hears his brothers and he begins to get the inside scoop as to how this whole thing took place, what does Joseph do in verse 24? He begins to weep. Now let me, let me give that principle to Listen to that quote again. Joseph needed to know that there was remorse, regret. Why? So that he could grieve. So that he could weep. So that he could come to terms with his own personal pain. It had to be more than a mere dismissing he is no more. You remember that last week we said this. When, he, when these brothers who don't know who Joseph is, they're looking at Joseph and they're saying, hey, I'm, and here, hey, this is how they are. They're down on their knees because he's the governor second in command of Pharaoh. They're saying, they're saying to governor, whoever this governor is, they don't know it's Joseph, their own brother. They said, listen, we're, we're, we're honest men. That made Joseph explode right there. They, we're honest men, and, 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 and our father's back in Canaan. We've got, there's 10 of us, and, and we've got a younger brother, Benjamin. B -b -b Benjamin, he, he, he's back with our father, and we have another brother who is no more. And when they said that, he exploded, and he said, you're a bunch of spies, you're dishonest, I'll throw you all in prison. But now, in 22 and 23, 21, 22, and 23, you see confession. You see ownership. And because of that, let me read it again. He needed to know there was remorse, regret. Why? So that he could grieve. So that he could weep. So that he could come to terms with his own personal pain. It had been more than a mere dismissing with is no more. Listen to this quote here. Sometimes our own healing... Our own ability to move on with our lives is dependent upon somebody apologizing, somebody repenting, somebody taking ownership of their part in the matter. But let me say this, listen to this, that is dangerous 
because while you and I are waiting for that to happen, we can become bitter. You're in this room and you feel like you've been hurt. Number one, it may take time for that person to repent. It may take time for that person to come back and say they're sorry. It may take time for that person to turn around. Listen to this. It may take a lifetime. Number two, it may never happen. They may never apologize. They may never repent. They may never turn around. It may never happen without a divine encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and conviction of His Holy Spirit. Number three, if you and I refuse to go on until we have whatever that is we're looking for, we will never find the peace that we need in our lives. We will become bitter. It may be of ex-marriage, former marriage, former relationship. It may be a friendship. It may be an employer. It may be a church. It may be anything. But if you and I refuse to let go and forgive, we will never find the peace that we're looking for. We'll be bitter. Charles Stanley said this. He said bitterness. And we're bitter is picross. It means that we get hurt. And when we get hurt, the anger sticks to us. Sometimes this happens to children. Children are abused. Children are hurt. And they have no recourse against the authority figure. They're bruised. They're sexually abused. They're battered. They're bruised. Things happen. Number four biggest problem in the life of children today is the abuse and the murder of children by the parents. It is a crisis in America. And a lot of times a child does not have any recourse. And the reality is, is that sometimes because they can't be angry and they can't express that anger, the anger goes inside and they become bitter. Bitter, picross, that Greek word, anger begins to stick. And Charles Stanley said this, when you and I become bitter, listen to me closely, some of you are not listening and you need to listen most of all. Because you've been in and out of relationships and you've hurt a lot of people. Bitterness, when it sticks to you, Stanley said, is like a putrid, smelly ointment. He says it just smells horrible. And he says everywhere you go, you take the stench of that bitterness with you. And he made this statement, I'll never forget this. He said, and when you leave a room, the bitterness has dripped off of you and has affected everybody in the room. Joseph needed his brothers to take ownership. It was only when they began to tell the truth that Joseph began to weep. Chris Singleton, you may not know Chris Singleton. His mom was killed. She, he is African American. His mom was killed in the Charleston shooting. Listen to what Chris said, this young, good-looking young man whose mother was killed by this, this young man who walked in and shot and killed nine people there in Charleston. He made this statement. He said, if we just love the way my mom would, then hate won't be anywhere close to what love is. He said, my mom was a God-fearing woman. She loved everybody with all her heart. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Listen to me closely. Regardless of what anybody has ever done to you, 
you and I are commanded by the word of God to forgive them. As a child of God, we're commanded. You say, wait a minute, I can't do it. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know the heartache. You don't know the pain they brought into my life. You may be here today and you say some of them are even dead. It's a parent and I've had to bury them and we were never reconciled. How can I forgive? Let me tell you how you forgive. You forgive by praying for people who have hurt you. I promise you this. In fact, there's a quote here. Prayer is a powerful means of healing and closure to the wound. In verse 22, if you see here, they made this statement in verse 22. They said, now we must give an account. The accounting was for what? What's the accounting for? You see it in verse 22? What's it for? What? Okay, verse 22. Let me just read it. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you would not listen. Now we must give an accounting for what? For his blood. Do you remember when Cain killed Abel in the garden? God had already warned Cain. He told Cain, he said, Cain, he said, sin is crouching at the door and you better learn now how to master it. Well, Cain killed his brother Abel. And do you remember when God went to Cain? God asked Cain, he said, Cain, where's your brother? Cain said, you know, Cain was, I don't know about you, but it's, Cain was sarcastic with God. He was like an older brother. So I don't know where he's at. Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, his blood cries out from the ground. Listen to me. Listen to me closely. Anytime blood is shed and justice is not meted out, it will cry out literally from the ground to its creator. In fact, I wrote down here, I thought about this. I thought about America, our own city. I thought about crime and abortion and all the lives that are lost. And I thought, wow, that's so true, isn't it? Well, in verses 21 through 24, guilt is orchestrating their life. Now, I want you to think about that. Guilt is orchestrating their life. I think it was Shakespeare. Shakespeare said something makes cowards of us all. What is it? Conscience. What did Shakespeare? Was it Shakespeare? Where's the literary people in this room? <laughs> Conscience makes cowards of us all. I've learned this in 35 years of ministry. We are not very good hypocrites. You're not, I'm not. We're not really very good hypocrites. A guilty conscience, listen to what one writer said. A guilty conscience can steal our boldness, quiet our passion, and silence our zeal. Is that not true? When you and I are not walking with the Lord, when we've got a guilty conscience, what do we do? Well, when a child does something wrong, what do they do? What do they do? They hide. Anytime kids are quiet and you can't, and they disappear, they've done something. 
And it's the same with us. Conscience makes cowards of us all. We are not good hypocrites. A guilty conscience can steal our boldness, quiet our passion, silence our lives. Now, silence our zeal. Now, now stay with me here because these brothers have lived with a guilty conscience for the last 13 years, plus about longer than that. It Guilt of, of what they've done has orchestrated their lives. Now, let me ask you something. How many of you think that Joseph's too hard on his brothers? Hey, 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 listen. If you raised your hand, you wouldn't be alone. There are theologians, there are Bible scholars that think that Joseph is too, too hard on his brothers. So let, let, listen to verse 25. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain to put each man's silver back in his sack to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey. He saw a silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank. They turned to each other trembling and said, what, what is this that God has done to us? Joseph now begins to play a cat and mouse game. He's ruthless. He literally sets his brothers up to fail. It's as if he is on them now with everything in him. But I wrote this down because I want you to listen to this. What is God doing? God is breaking the patriarchs. Simeon and Levi, Simeon and Levi had murdered an entire village of men, took the women and children and the loot. Reuben had slept with Jacob's concubine, Bilhah. Judah had slept with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who was posing as a temple prostitute. All ten of his brothers had agreed to sell Joseph into slavery, pocket the money, fake his death, and then watch their dad agonize over the death of Joseph. There's a principle here. God would use Joseph to break an ungodly, immoral, pagan tendency in the patriarchal heads. Joseph would be, listen to this, a conscience waker, just like Nathan was to David, just like John the Baptist was to Herod, and just like you and I had better be in this nation today, this nation that we're living in. Conscience wakers. Verse 25 through 28. You see it? We just read it. What Joseph does is he tells his people, he says, listen, after you put the grain, after you put these bags, stick their money back over in that. Stick their money back over in there. Now, when the brothers discover this, they are frightened. They are scared to death. In verses 35 and 36, Jacob will be so scared that he thinks he's getting ready to lose all of them. You say, why? Because it would appear as if it was stolen goods. They had stolen the, gra the grain. It would appear as if the cashier accidentally gave you the wrong change. Have you ever had somebody give you the wrong change? Probably most of us. Now, let me tell you, this is not the, what you want to do when you get the wrong change. Yes! All right! Woo! My lucky day! Now, you look down the change and you walk back in you say, listen, I'm sorry, but I believe you gave me the wrong change. Joseph was setting them up. 
This was the equivalent of the cashier giving you the wrong change. This is the equivalent of leaving a place without paying. This would give the governor who was already angry more ammunition and most of all they had left Simeon or they would leave Simeon or had left Simeon in prison. Joseph, listen to this, listen to what one writer said. Joseph is trying to bring these men to repentance, to break their old hardened spirits. They were cruel, they were cunning men whose conscience is about to be awakened. Joseph is a conscience waker. There are two quick points and I'll close. Number one, God will awaken a conscience by proclamation. You remember, let's go back to David. David and... No. Janice. David and... Goliath is a good one. David and Bathsheba. Now, let me me say that You remember David sees Bathsheba, she's bathing. He liked her, he lusted after her. Kings, all the other kings were going to war, but he stayed home. He didn't go out on visitation. He decided to stay home. And and so he he is looking at Bathsheba. He likes her, he tells his servant, he says, look, go get her. You remember what the servant said? The servant was a conscience waker. The servant said, isn't that Uriah's wife? Did Did I tell you to, look, you just go get her. The king, I'll do whatever I want. So Bathsheba comes, he sleeps with Bathsheba, she conceives and has a child. Now I like what I, I, I wrote this down because Nathan with David, David, had, David would later cover his adultery when Bathsheba came and said, Listen, I'm pregnant. And David says, Oh man, we got to do something about this. Let me see. He sends to Joab, I think it was Joab, his commander. He says, look, send Uriah back in from the battlefield. Uriah comes back. Man, he's, yes, sir, you know, commander-in-chief King David. What do you want me to do? King David says, listen, man, you've worked hard. I'll tell you what you do. You go, go home, rest. I've, I've got some cheese and some meat and, and wine. And just, 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 just spend a few days at home and rest. In other words, sleep with your wife. He's trying to cover it up. Uriah won't do it. David gets up the next morning looks out there's Uriah sitting outside his door asleep like a soldier David says man what are you doing out here I told you go home with your wife Uriah says man how could I do this king when my men are out there in the, in the battlefield I could never do such a thing and so the king says well come on in and the man they have the man they party down king loads him up and says and he gets him drunk he, then he says look take him to his house wakes up the next morning looks out and there's king's looks out and there's Uriah again. And so he says, man, this guy's not going to be dishonorable. So what I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to put him in the thick of the battle and I'm going to have to tell Joab to pull the troops back and kill him. And so Uriah's killed on the battlefield. Hey, and everything's fine. They have bridal showers, baby showers. David fixes up the nursery. He even looks like the good guy because this poor soldier he brought his wife into his harem to be a part of the palace so they're fixing up the nursery david's passing out cigars when all of a sudden one day brother nathan comes to visit come in king nathan prophet king says, king jumps up and says man it is good to see you preacher come on in and sit down can i get you anything 
No, we've got a problem in the kingdom. King David says, well, tell me about it. He's he's in his 50s. He says, tell me about it. And and Nathan says, well, king, he said, you got a rich man. He's got just thousands of sheep. Next to him is a poor little old family. They don't have nothing. I think his name is Ingalls, Charles Ingalls. They don't have nothing. They pour as dirt. They had one little pet ewe lamb, and they loved this lamb. This lamb was like a pet, followed the farmer around, the rancher. I mean, this, it, he would actually sit at the table and hold this lamb while he was eating. And the rich scoundrel over there with thousands of sheep, one day he had a big party over at his place. He, instead of killing one of his thousands of sheep, he went over and had one of his guys slap this little old farmer off to the side, take that little lamb, slit the throat, dress out the lamb, and they feasted on this family's pet lamb. When they did that, David, King David jumped up and said, What? i tell you what we'll do. That man should die. And he should also restore fourfold. And Nathan's old long, he's got a finger like Charles Stanley. Charles finger, Charles Stanley's finger. I've, I've, I've spoken with Charles Stanley before. Great guy. But his finger reaches out of the TV and taps you on the forehead. <laughs> and the long bony finger of Nathan, the conscience waker, wakes his conscience and says, Thou art the man. And immediately the king of Israel crumbles. You see, this is Joseph. I'm going to tell you what we need in America. And you need to stay with me. Because in America, we've seared the conscience. We've beat down conviction until it's almost dead. We've legislated immorality. We have excused sin or explained it away. We have all the church gotten on this cultural bandwagon and we've sided with the majority. But there are times when the majority is wrong. Calvary being one of them. I was talking to an African-American pastor. We are talking about how the country's going down morally and just down, down, down. And he looked at me and he was as distraught as I was and he brought up same-sex marriage. And I sat there and listened to him for a minute and then I, then I interrupted him. And I said, the president in 2012, the president in 2012, before the election came out, and said that he was in favor of same-sex marriage. I said, do you remember that? He said, yes. This guy's a very prominent pastor. I said, do you remember that? He said, yes. And I said, um, but 93% of African-American voted for the president, even as if that did not matter. I said, is that not right? He said, well, we couldn't vote for a Mormon. I stood there almost shocked and then he brought up education and economy. And in that moment, in a a public place, there was that tension. And I reminded him on the day of the election that I stood down here on this corner, preached on the corner of Belvedere and Raymond Road and I had a cross and I had abortion 
same-sex marriage, Israel, some of the issues of our day. And I cried out. And I had an African-American pastor right here near us severely reprimand me for me doing that. Now, before you get mad, I've got a denomination that doesn't care much for me either. I've taken a stand on the state flag, and because of that, I've gotten beat up quite a bit. So let me say something to you when it comes to waking consciences up. I wrote this down. Peacemakers will usually get beat up on both sides of the conflict. That's the bottom line. And yet God's called you and I to be conscience wakers. I I wrote down here, I I think that pastors today, Reggie, I I made this, I wrote this down. I think pastors, true men of God in this day, will sound like Old Testament prophets. They will be disliked by both white and black, Republican and Democrat, rich, poor, homosexual, heterosexual, because they are conscience wakers. I want you to listen to this closely. The sins, the crops of our forefathers have finally required payment in America and in the West. Wilberforce warned us about slavery. He warned us and the world of his day the high cost of slave trade and labor. We sowed the wind in the early years of our nation and in the West in the building of our economy on the trade and the selling of humanity. And now we're reaping the whirlwind. Sin is like a seed. Doesn't matter individually or corporately. If you sow that Single seed, you'll reap more than you sow. You'll reap longer and later than you sow. Is that not true? So you and I need to understand that as followers of Christ, that God calls us to be conscience wakers, like John the Baptist with Herod, like Nathan with David. And that's, that's, there's a cost to that. You and I have been called to be voices of truth. Let me make that clear. You and I have been, be, have been called to be voices of truth. We are the individuals. We're not looking to mesh in with our culture, our society, or whatever ethnic group we come out of. I have a feeling that if you take a stand for the principles of Scripture, you're just simply not going to be liked in America today. And it doesn't matter what color you are. Albert Barnes said this of the ten brothers. He said their conscience was awakened mightily in three days in prison, but more so by their brother. He went on to make this statement. He said, listen, for a conscience waker, and he didn't use that terminology. When you and I are doing what God has called us to do, sometimes it is by proclamation. God may call you to say something in order, and you may be saying, well, I'm trying to be a peacemaker. Let me tell you, if you're trying to be a peacemaker in the racial conflict in America today, chances are black won't like you, neither will white. You'll be hanging there in the middle. But that's the cost 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The children of God. Joseph would wake him up. We've got to close. Simeon would be taken. He would be in prison. Why Simeon? Because he was probably the worst of the bunch. Reuben at least kind of gave a little bit of validity when he, without him knowing it, Joseph hearing him say, look, I tried to stop you guys. You wouldn't listen to me. So that probably got Reuben off the, off the you know, hit list. But there was Simeon who was a second born. And so Simeon is thrown into prison. They come back. The brothers eventually report back, tell Jacob, this is what I'm trying to move quickly. They report. Basically, bottom line is, you can imagine this. They come back to Jacob and Jacob counts. He can see them coming. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh no, not again. Last time these boys came back, there were 10 of them. Joseph wasn't with them. Not again. They come back. They sit down. They gather there with Jacob. Jacob says, what happened? They don't tell him they spent three days in prison. They don't tell him they sold their brother Joseph into slavery. They, don't, they said, man, we don't, we, we don't know what happened. Man, the governor, governor just had it in for us. Kind of like a kid comes home and says, I don't know, teacher just doesn't like me. I'm a good kid. I think they just got it in for me. And that's the way they sound. And finally, they look at their old man and they say, Dad, the governor just hated us. It was as if he knew about us, as if he knew our background, as if he knew about you, as if he knew that we couldn't figure it out, Dad. But Dad, he said that he was going to imprison Simeon and Simeon would stay in prison until we brought, until we brought Benjamin until we bring Benjamin back. Jacob said. Joseph's dead. Benjamin is all I have left of my beloved Rachel. You're not taking Benjamin. I can't trust you. You men have brought all this, you've brought this on me. And there we hang Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, first of all, I pray for those in this room who may be battling, they may be struggling, they may be like Joseph. They feel as if their life has been in prison, in a pit, because they so desperately need to somehow Hear remorse, repentance out of them, someone who's hurt them. And Lord, like Joseph, there are times in our life that we go through these battles, we get wounded in a relationship, we get wounded in a marriage, we go through a problem, a difficulty when things are not going right, we get hurt by people we thought loved us. And if we were not careful, what we begin to do is we begin to take that anger and we begin to point it inward and it leads to a bitter spirit.
And Father, I pray, dear Lord, in the name of Jesus, that there's someone here that needs to let go of the pain in the past, that they would do that. That they would begin to pray over that one, that individual who's who's brought pain and suffering in their life until God, you begin to give them freedom and the ability to move on with their life. It is the most difficult thing sometimes for a believer to love his enemy, to pray for those who persecute. And so, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that today you would set people free of a bitter spirit. We pray, dear Lord, that, um, and it may be emotional, Joseph wept. We know too, dear Lord, that sometimes we suffer because of sin, because of disobedience. We know in the life of these brothers that there was great disobedience, much deception, much lying, much hurt, much pain that had been brought in to the family of Jacob. And they had to take ownership of that. They too had to find forgiveness. They too had to find healing. And God, it would be through the painful process that Joseph would be used as a conscience waker to wake their hardened, cold lives up, their spirits, so that once again they would feel. Lord, we live in a day in America. We've seared the conscience. We're no longer bothered by what we sing in the lyrics of a of a rap or a song. We're not bothered any longer by the murder and the sex and the adultery and and all of the things that we see today coming out of Hollywood. We're not bothered today by the great moral issues that divide us. In our attempt to be united, the United States, we have thrown out the only thing that unites us and that is the spirit of Jesus Christ. For black and white in this room, for rich and poor, educated, uneducated, wealthy, poor, people that are struggling to get by, you have called us in this day in America to be conscience wakers, to be those voices of truth who are willing to be isolated and ostracized and set apart, who are willing to be crucified if it should be that in order to stand on the truth of your word. But Lord, may we understand that we can never do that until we have first given our hearts and life to Jesus Christ. We can never do that until we begin to live a life of obedience because a guilty conscience will make a coward out of us. When we're living in disobedience, when we're rebelling against your word, when our lives are not where they need to be, then we are not about to wake anyone's conscience because our conscience is asleep. May you, God, get a hold of us today. Raise us up as an army. Send us out into the workplace, into the educational systems. Send us out in conversations. And may we speak truth in love. But may we speak truth. We pray, dear Lord, that you would speak to us, even in this invitation. We pray this in the name of Jesus.